Welcome to Scarlet Tavern. Grab a drink, take a seat, and let's begin. On tonight's episode, we will be discussing the story of Betty and Barney Hill, the couple who claimed to be abducted by aliens. Were they really abducted, or is this just nonsensical probing? This is Scarlet Tavern. probing <laughs> so welcome to scarlet tavern um a little bit of a change tonight we do have some special guests uh we are you are going to notice that aaron is now going to be a permanent part of scarlet tavern now that we are changing our recording times um try changing the locks but he just keeps coming back yeah um yeah buddy you- so we also have two special guests from our D&D show, Dungeons and Magi. Um, they have decided to join us tonight for some alien talk. And yeah, Kara, if you could introduce yourself and what you do in Dungeons and Magi. Hi, I'm Kara. I run the character known as Bakira, the blood the Dragonborn Blood Hunter Werewolf Warlock. Say that five times fast. <laughs> I'm a cast member and founding member of Dungeons and Magi. Yes. So. I think you mean Captain Bakira. Captain Bakira. Yes, yes. Yeah. I forgot about the captain part. Thank you um, for reminding me. I am little. Oh, we're gonna get you your own like f- your own uh little cap- pirate captain's hat. Yes. I already got one. one. I made oh. one. I... Remember, she has to oh, say "ahoy, matey," and the eye patch comes out. So I think, Kara, you should get one in real life. Yes, and wear it. Uh, I I'm sure have she one has with... one. I do have. I do have one in real life. You need it an eye patch. Do you have an eye purple... patch? It has. It has purple and red feather in it. Um, I do not have an you eye need patch. An eye patch. I need we need an I eye need patch. An eye I'm gonna I'm gonna yeah. build you a hat that responds to voice and the eye patch comes down. Oh yes. <laughs> yeah. Um also okay, so Elliot, if you could introduce yourself. Hi, uh, I'm Elliot. I play as Safi, Tiefling Bard Barbarian. Um I'm also a cast member and founding member of Dungeons and Magi. Yes, yes. So, um, and then of course, you guys have listened to myself and Ben mostly, uh, Aaron a little bit, but, uh, I am Caleb. I am also known as the Viking GM. Um, I am the CEO of Dungeons and Magi. Uh, then Ben over here is plays um belvis the locatha fighter paladin um and he is also that we all the... love to give shit yes. to mm-hmm. yeah. he is also the coo of dungeons and magi um and then aaron who is my dad if you guys haven't figured that out yet um he plays van the human rogue artificer 
And he is also the director of merchandising for Dungeons and Magi. Uh, he makes our dice. He runs his own company called Raven's Nest Dice. Um, if anybody's curious about D and D, we do have a few people that listen to us just because of us being a true crime podcast. If you are curious about D and D, you can always check us out. We are live every Sunday at 6 PM Eastern on Twitch and YouTube. Um, and you can check out our website, www.dungeonsandmagi.com. That's M A G I. Uh, but yeah, tonight we are going to be talking about Betty and Barney Hill. Um, this is not super, super long. Uh, Betty and Barney Hill is a simple story of abduction and love making it through probing. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, um, you're not in love until you've been probed. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Just um, saying. Oh boy. Right, Ben? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so, <clears throat> let's go ahead and jump right into it. Betty and Barney Hill lived in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Um, Barney, who was born in 1922 was employed by the United States Postal Service, while Betty, was, who was born in 1919, was a social worker. They were active in the local uh, Unitarian congregation. The Hills were also members of the NAACP and community leaders, and Barney sat on a local board of the United States Commission on Civil Rights. They were an interracial couple, um, with Betty being white and Barney being black, uh, which was very uncommon in the U.S. at that time. Um, yeah, especially New, e New England's got a very long, unfortunately has a long history of racism there. I'm, oh, yeah. 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 Huge. Oh, they, they, they were breakable there. Yeah. Um, so not a lot is known about their life before they got together. Um, so jumping right into the incident um according to a variety of reports given by the hills the alleged ufo sighting happened about 10 30 p.m september 19 1961 the hills were driving back to portsmouth from a vacation in niagara falls in montreal just south of lancaster new hampshire betty claimed to have observed a bright point of light in the sky that moved from below the moon and the planet Jupiter upward to the west of the moon. This woman must have had amazing eyesight to know where Jupiter I was. was. Yeah. Did, she, did she have well, a... Actually, um, Jupiter can be seen um, from our atmosphere at certain times of uh, the year. Yeah, and, but I, um, given I don't know what how I know about she was. Uh, well, that's... You gotta think of the time okay. period. This is a long time ago. Yeah. A long time ago. I mean... This is like nine years before my dad was born. <laughs> Thank well, you. Well, I mean... Very much. <laughs> yes, you know, an old joke not directed at me. This is like wow. two years before even dad was back born. Then, even back then, you have social knowledge workers had to have why. at least some high, amount of higher education. Yeah, I... I... 
I mean, we're going to get into this, but a lot of stuff they say is a whole crock of shit. Um, I, I, for, I'll, I'm going to put this out there right now. I firmly believe aliens exist. I think it's pretty naive and stupid of us to think that we are the only intelligible life in the universe, especially mm-hmm. when we've only explored like 3% of it. Um, Not even, even 3%. Yeah. Even Stephen Hawking says that it, well, said that it was statistically impossible that Earth was the only planet with life on And he died yeah. on that hill. Oh, oh wait. Oh, wait. <laughs> Too soon? <laughs> Too soon. Um, oh. <laughs> so, while Barney navigated US Route 3, Betty reasoned that she was observing a falling star, only it moved upward. Because it moved erratically and grew bigger and brighter, Betty urged Barney to stop the car for a closer look, as well as to walk their dog, Delcy. Barney stopped at a scenic picnic area just south of Twin Mountain. They're really in the backwoods. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Betty looked through binoculars, observed an odd-shaped craft, flashing multicolored lights. First of all, they just have binoculars in the car, but okay. Um, Well, I guess, I mean, they were at Niagara Falls, so it's possible. Um, Yeah. Maybe, yeah, you can, depending on where you go in Niagara Falls, but for the most part... um, you're the part the, the falls park niagara falls state park you're right on the falls oh, yeah. so well, i mean you're they, were also, they were also yeah, I mean, can, uh canada side though uh because they montreal were... is no montreal is nowhere near the falls that's a different that, that i know yeah. but they were in the canada side of the falls oh. and were at montreal Oh yeah, the kid. They were, they oh. were, that's that's why they went to Montreal because they were already on the Canada side. Oh, you mean the nice side of Niagara <laughs> Falls, yes. the part where you won't get robbed and killed? Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Much. So, as somebody who lives in New York. Yes. Um, Betty, looking through binoculars, observed an odd-shaped craft flashing multicolored lights travel across the face of the moon. Great binoculars. Because her sister had several years earlier said she had seen a flying saucer, Betty thought it might be what she was observing. Confirmation bias. Yeah. Through binoculars, Barney observed what he reasoned was a commercial airliner traveling toward Vermont on its way to Montreal. It's probably what it was. I mean, pilots were drinking a lot back then. Yeah. Why is it drive? Why is it? Why is it driving erratically? Some poor commercial liners or passengers are like, "Oh God, help us!" Um, however, he soon changed his mind because, without looking as if it had turned, the craft rapidly descended in his direction. This observation caused Barney to realize this object that was a plane was not a plane. Um, the hill said they continued driving on the isolated road, moving very slowly through uh, Franconia Notch in order to observe the object as it came even closer. At one point, the object passed above a restaurant and signal tower on top of Cannon Mountain and came out near the old man of the mountain. Betty testified that it was at least one and a half times the length of the granite cliff profile, which was 40 feet long, and that it seemed to be rotating. The couple watched as a silent, illuminated craft moved erratically and bounced back and forth in the night sky. 
uh, every notation that we know of UFOs does not say it moves erratically. They they, yeah. come, they come with a purpose. They're ships. They're they're yeah. flying ships. I mean, and, and you'd think if it was that long, other people would have noticed. Like I that mean, is forty feet long. Yeah. I I I've never I've only driven through this area of Massachusetts when I lived in in New England, but this is not an unpopulated area. I mean, yeah, it's country. It's definitely, and especially yeah, back in the sixties. But there's say, there's people around here. Sixties. Yeah, it's like there's there's people. There's still people around there. So it's like this is kind of an not odd thing. Like uh, Kansas, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> where you can have. Miles and miles and miles mm-hmm. of nothing we, but farmland. We, we we will defer all knowledge of of corn of corn to you, um, because you're from Kansas. Children of the corn. Um. Hey hey hey! I I lived in one of the very few cities out there. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, like a, I'm a, technically a, a, a city girl, even though I grew up, you know, helping my aunts on their farms. Anyways. <clears throat> So, about one mile south of Indian Head, they said the object rapidly descended toward their vehicle, causing Barney to stop in the middle of the highway. The huge silent craft hovered about 80 to 100 feet above the hills, 1957 Chevrolet Bel Air. God, I would kill for that car. Yeah. Um, And filled the entire field of view in the windshield. It reminded Barney of a huge pancake. Carrying his pistol in his pocket, very safe. He stepped away <laughs> from the vehicle and moved closer to the object. Using we the do bin- that all the time. Yeah. Using the binoculars, Barney claimed to have seen 8 to 11 humanoid figures who were peering out of the craft's windows, seeming to big look at windows. him. Big-ass un- windows. Yeah. Holy in shit. unison, all but one figure moved to what appeared to be a panel on the rear wall of the hallway that encircled the front portion of the craft. The one remaining figure continued to look at Barney and communicated a message telling him to stay where you are and keep looking. Barney had a recollection of observing the humanoid forms wearing glossy black uniforms and black caps. Red lights on what appeared to be bat wing fins began to telescope out of the sides of the craft and a long structure descended from the bottom of the craft. The silent craft approached to what Barney estimated was within 50 to 80 feet overhead and 300 feet away from him. On October, he's seen all this. Yeah, apparently. Uh, Sorry, uh, my question is: How would um, aliens know our language? Yeah, how would he get that message? I was about to say, was he holding up a sign? Little no, the so stay there. They claim that uh, the alien spoke telepathically to him, mm. and the whole language he, thing. He the, the whole thing with aliens is that they have been studying us, so they would learn our language. Right. Mm. Yeah. Um, okay, I can see that. And there's like, nothing we, to we say are that the oddballs of the universe. There's nothing to say that they don't speak our language. Naturally. Oh, that's true. Maybe that's they true. do. Um, we don't know. <laughs> yeah. Until I come in contact with an alien. Um, 
I have no idea what kind of languages they speak. Though it'll be interesting to find out. On October 21st, 1961, Barney reported to the National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomena, Investigator Walter Webb, that the beings were <laughs> somehow not human. What? They weren't human? Um... Arriving home at about dawn, the Hills stated that they had some odd sensations and impulses they could not readily explain. Oh, the aliens turned them on. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they got probed. Um, I think I think he wants to do some probing of his own. Betty insisted her luggage be kept near the back door rather than the main part of the house. Their watches would never work again. Barney said that the leather strap for the binoculars was torn, though he could not recall it tearing. The toes of his best dress shoes were scraped. Barney says he was compelled to examine his genitals in the bathroom, though he found nothing unusual. Huh. Okay. <laughs> they took long showers to remove possible <laughs> contamination, and each drew a picture of what they had observed. Um, I can just I can just imagine being Walter Webb as they're describing it's like Yeah, is he just writing notes? That shit crazy. Listen, Walter, I checked my balls. Right. And what, you guys have never just randomly stared at your own genitalia for no reason? All the time. Right? (laughs) I'm not gonna lie, I got daily reminders set on my phone. Um, perplexed, the hill say that they tried to reconstruct the chronology of events as they witnessed the UFO and drove home. But immediately after they heard the buzzing sounds, their memories became incomplete and fragmented. After sleeping for a few hours, Betty awoke and placed the shoes and clothing she had worn during the drive into her closet observing that the dress was torn at the hem, zipper, and lining. Later, when she retrieved the items from her closet, she noted a pinkish powder on her dress. She hung the dress on her clothesline, and the pink powder blew away, but the dress was irreparably damaged. She threw it away, but then changed her mind, retrieved the dress, and hung it in her closet. Over the years, five laboratories have conducted chemical and forensic analysis on the dress. Hmm. So conveniently, the evidence blew away, and they forgot everything about the night, aka exactly. they couldn't keep their stories straight. This is why Benny and Barney Hill are a fucking joke in the UFO community. Yeah. yeah. We are Jesus. at the beginning of it, and uh, before they even already. Go- go into the hypnosis because they they yeah. get hypnotized to try and recall those memories i'm i'm starting to think this is, now we're starting to find the cause of this because i guarantee you they probably had some accident and someone some hypnosis hypnotist was like how do i fuck with these people well yeah. i think that i don't know i don't know there's nothing no reason for them to this is the this is the thing that gets everybody there's no reason for them to make it up because they weren't hurting for money 
they were doing decent for the time. Um, I mean, the man worked, he worked a government job. He worked for USPS, especially in the sixties. That was a good job. Yeah. So they weren't hurting for money. So it's, it's weird that they would make this stuff up, but none of it makes sense. So it has to be made up. Yeah. I mean, the only thing I can think of is a social experiment, but well, so even that there, doesn't have there much. Are some, there are some theories that, of course, the big theories are the UFOs are actually the government and stuff like that. Um, and Area 51 and all of that, which we will touch on Area 51. Um, what we can talk about, Ben and I don't want to lose our security clearances. Um I just got the damn thing. So we will be careful when we talk about any government things. Um, that's we will. I'm going to put this out there. I we will never discuss nuclear weapons. Um, nope. I have a very broad knowledge of every nuclear site in the country. Caleb, you know more about them than I do. I have. I know where every nuclear site is in the country, and if. That's, oh, that's why I have, yeah. That's why I have my security clearance, and that's why yeah. I'm keeping my security clearance. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So, yeah. but have, we'll respect that. We'll yeah. I just have I just have access to all the technical uh, specs of uh, advanced communications so and tracking gear of the U.S. To, <laughs> to to communicate with aliens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't worry about that. <laughs> yeah, no. I, 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 I value my freedom. Thanks. Um, so there were shiny concentric circles on their car's trunk that had not been there the previous day. Benny and Barney experimented with a compass, noting that when they moved it close to the spots, the needle would whirl rapidly. But when they moved it a few inches away from the shiny spots, it would drop down. Hmm. They do that in front of anybody? No. They're dogs. Well, of course not. not. That would actually be, you know, smart. Yeah. Yeah. Walter N. Webb, a Boston astronomer and NICAP member, met with the Hills on October 21st, 1961. In a six-hour interview... The Hills related all they could remember of the UFO encounter. Barney stated that he had developed a mental mental block and that he suspected there were some portions of the event that he did not wish to remember. He described in detail all that he could remember about the craft and the experience of the somehow not human figures aboard it. Webb stated that they were telling the truth. Wow, apparently he uh, he's a human lie detector. Um, yeah. He stated that they were telling the truth and the incident probably occurred exactly as reported, except for some minor uncertainties and technicalities that must be tolerated in any such ob- observations where human judgment is involved. Uh, example, exact time and length of visibility, apparent sizes of objects and occupants, distance of height of object, etc. So this man is claiming that everything that they said is true. Well, yeah, okay. And it has to be true. Well, I think it's like you said. I mean, this sounds made up, but who the hell could make this up? 
I mean, I'm reading it, and I'm just like, um, it's just, it. this is, you know what, honestly, you know what, what it probably was? Somewhere between Montreal and where they were driving, driving, they're driving right down the length of New Hampshire. Wouldn't surprise me if they stopped somewhere to get like a bite to eat and somebody just happened to have some LSD and just decided to just chip, 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 sprinkle it on their food or drinks or whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because you can't taste LSD. You can't taste it. Ben knows from experience. Uh, don't worry about that. Um, clearance. Uh, damn it! You're determined to get that thing revoked for me, aren't you? Yep. Um, and they just sprinkled it, and they had the trip of their lives because yeah. this is reading like a weird ass LSD trip that they because again LSD wasn't well known, so they wouldn't have they wouldn't have known. Wow, I had a wacky trip. Um, LSD actually, I believe, came out in the 50s, but it wasn't very well known, and it wouldn't be known for a few years by the time when the counterculture started getting getting going and everything. But yeah, I I think these people got got spiked with some LSD. I guess it's a really good thing that I just say, fuck that shit. Nope. Yeah. Well, there's actually a. Um, the LSD, just so everybody knows, it was actually created during, uh, the cold war, mm-hmm. um, by Swiss scientists. It was, mm. uh, synthesized by Swiss scientists and it was going to be used during war. Like as a weapon. Oh yeah. And then the CIA yeah. conducted experiments with LSD. They they thought. Here's a thought. Here's a thought because I know how fucked up sleep deprivation can fuck with you. Let's just say I've had some trippy fucking hallucinations because of sleep deprivation things. Yeah. Um. So I know from a fact, and given the time of night that this was, if Mm -hmm. they were driving for an extremely long time, that could actually account to the. Hallucination and memory loss. Actually. Yeah, but the the trip. Speaking from long. experience on that one. Yeah, it's, no, it's uh, not that far you're... from from New Hampshire area to or from Montreal and everything to New Hampshire. But it also depends on how long they were up before they started that drive. It's true. It's also and but... because they say that it happened at ten thirty p.m. at night. Like, I was up for, for, I want to say, like, 72 hours straight. Um, And I was out on a country road, and uh, I saw purple jackrabbits because of sleep deprivation. Country road, (laughs) take me home. Just for just for uh, clarification, uh, it is about five hours between Montreal and Portsmouth, Portsmouth that, New Hampshire. That is how long it takes uh, us to get to Ben and Ben to get to us. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah but there's also you got also account for um, drive wariness that. Oh um, yeah. Tunnel vision, oh, all of that. 
that I'm happens saying, on the road. I mean, you you could be right, especially I, when you're tired. It just seems a little odd. They were both t- if they were both tired, they're both hallucinating the same thing. Uh, simple. Uh, when you're that tired, you're actually very susceptible to suggestion. So if somebody's mm-hmm. like, "Hey, look at that," and you're like, "Oh yeah, I see that too." That is very true. We that is have very some true. Off the air talks, Kara. Sorry. Of your trippy <laughs> dreams. I want to know yeah. more about the purple jackrabbits. Um, yes. Yes. That that was that was not a so popped up on caffeine and caffeine, caffeine. specifically caffeine pills and oh, uh, energy caffeine, drinks. Caffeine pills. No, no, those no, caffeine no, pills are no joke. Those are, yeah, oh, I know. Those, those, I, those pills are no joke. Ben, I have dumb shit I done because of a dare. Of caffeine pills. I, I, I avoided them, but I've seen I, a lot of my friends trip when, out on that shit. Did, I'm like, no. When I did convoys, I popped myself full of caffeine pills. Um, <laughs> okay, speaking of vivid dreams. Ten days after the alleged UFO encounter, Betty began having a series of vivid dreams, which continued for five successive nights. She stated that she experienced them with a degree of detail and intensity that she had never had before. After the fifth night, they stopped and never recurred, though they occupied her thoughts during the day. When she mentioned them to Barney, he was sympathetic but not too concerned, and the matter was dropped. Betty did not mention them to Barney again. Um, <clears throat> in November 1961, Betty began writing down the details of her dreams. In one dream, she and Barney encountered a roadblock and men who, men who surrounded their car. She lost consciousness, but struggled to regain it. Then she realized that she was being forced by two small men to walk in a forest at night, and of seeing Barney walking behind her, though when she called to him, he seemed to be in a trance or sleepwalking. The men stood about five feet to five foot four inches tall, and wore matching blue uniforms with caps similar to those worn by military cadets. They appeared nearly human with black hair, dark eyes, prominent noses, and bluish lips. Their skin was a grayish color. So, there are two things here that (coughs) become common amongst ufo sightings is military uniforms are known to have seen a lot um and then the these guys are called the grays the grays are your typical aliens that everybody sees you have have two different types of aliens you have the grays and then you have the men in black. The men in black is something we are going to touch on. And then the grays themselves are something we're going to touch on completely. Um, but yeah, you have the grays and the men in black. The men in black are the most interesting ones to me. Um, because they look completely human. Um, Ish. In my are, opinion, look. They are so fascinating because people believe tons of people have seen them and they all describe them the same way they do the same mannerisms everything but um kind of that uncanny valley kind of yeah they they always ask weird questions like they're trying to gain information and they're not sure how to respond to you uh 
I think there was one one incident where somebody tried to shake a Men in Black's hand and they didn't know what to do. Mm. They did not know how to shake hands. Um, so it was it was really weird. But it, Men in Black is definitely something we're going to touch on because it's very interesting. Um, but yeah, so the military attire and the greys are pretty common. The military attire is, of course, where everybody gets the idea that UFOs are just military experiments. Um, and then the greys are what we typically see. Uh, they And funny enough is when everybody talks about aliens they are completely different from like the Martians that we used to see in movies and everything. There are, nobody says that the aliens were green. They're always gray. Yeah. So we're not encountering Tars Tarkin of, uh, of Barsoom out, out, out there. Or Marvin the Martian for everybody. That's not a super nerd. Um, Go fuck yourself. All that. <laughs> Call me a nerd. You, you literally run a D&D stream. I'm the nerd. Okay. Was that a Conan reference? Or, uh, no, Thank John Connor. Rose. John Carter, yes. Thank you. I was about to there say There like, we go. I was like, wait a minute. I know that reference. I know it. My brain is like, where do I know that from? Like I said, Sorry. Super nerd. And why are you giving me shit? You like John Carter of Mars. Oh, We're I going love to be that movie. I didn't say I did. We, we. We we are actually we actually found there is a John Carter RPG we're going to do. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't. I'm say. sorry. There's an RPG. Yeah. Oh, yes. Um. <coughs> so sorry. Oh, it's okay. I, I was the same way. She and Barney were taken to their car, where the leader suggested that they wait to watch the craft's departure. They did so, then resumed resumed their drive home. Having read Webb's initial report. Jackson and Homan had many questions for the Hills. Um, these are two, Jackson and Homan are two more um, of the uh, UFO people. Um, From the NICAP? Yeah. So, and NICAP does still exist as far as I know. Um, when we start talking more about alien stuff, we're going to start getting into the different abbreviations and there's a few out there that don't exist anymore. Um, and then of course we're going to segue some of the alien stuff into, um, the alien cults and stuff like that. Cause those exist. Um, heaven's gate. Yes. Heaven's gate. Their website still exists. You can go to Not it now. Gods. It looks like it's from the nineties. Um, and somebody <laughs> is still controlling heaven's gates website. Um, nobody knows who. Uh, so one of their main questions was about the length of the trip. Although the Hills had noted that they had arrived home later than anticipated, the 178-mile drive should have taken about four hours. They did not realize that they arrived home seven hours after their departure from Colebrook. When Homan and Jackson noted this discrepancy to the Hills, the couple had no explanation. Um, which this is what a phenomenon ufologist calls missing time. Uh, the Hills claim to recall almost nothing of the 35 miles of U.S. Route 3 between Lincoln, uh, Indian Head, and Ashland. Both claim to recall an image of a fiery orb sitting on the ground. 
Betty and Barney reason that it must have been the moon, but Holman and Jackson informed them that the moon had set earlier in the evening. The subject of hypnosis came up, and it was decided that it should be carried out in order to recover previously irretrievable memories. Barney was apprehensive, but thought it might help Betty put to rest what Barney describes as the nonsense about her dreams. Such a supportive so, husband. Okay, so right. all this other UFO stuff, it's like, that's believable. Oh, those dreams about the about more details? Oh, that's nonsense, dear. It's like, yeah. Uh, okay. Because okay, she's Barney. ahead of herself creating stuff. It's because he's not having them. Mm. Yeah. Um, and those, and this, the, is, is this, this is the 1960s. Yes, where hysterical woman syndrome was actually a thing. Yeah. <laughs> I say I say that I, I, ironically and a complete criti- sarcastic criticism of the mental health situation back then. Um, yeah. On November 23rd, 1962... The Hills attended a meeting at the parsonage of their church where Captain Ben H. Sweats of the United States Air Force was a guest speaker. Having had an interest in hypnosis, the Hills approached Sweat privately and related their strange encounter. Sweat was particularly interested in the missing time of the Hills' account. The Hills asked if he would hypnotize them to recover their memories, memories but Sweat declined and cautioned them against going to an amateur hypnotist such as himself. Um, so Captain, hold on, um, so let me get into this really quick. So there, I'm going to kind of read, this is actually, so Captain Sweat actually has a website. Um, called besweat.com. Um, yeah. Uh, so, uh, this is his, a testimony from him about Betty and Barney Hill. Um, and Ben, he was stationed at Pease Air Force Base. Pease? Wait, wait a minute. I know that base. Yeah. Where's that? Um, where was that? Hold on. I'll look it up. You go. So it's an Air National Guard base now, uh, in Portsmouth. Oh, peace. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I know that. So, I've heard of it at least. It's, it used to be an active duty base. Now it's a National Guard base. Um, okay, so this is his statement. On 23 November 1962, I read some of my poetry to a meeting at the rectory of the Unitarian Church in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. I wasn't a member of that church and didn't know anyone there except the pastor. After my poetry reading, he said he had heard I was studying hypnosis and that they would like to hear about that. Those who came for the poetry left, and a few remained. I gave them a brief overview of hypnosis, including some of its uses and abuses. Um, let's keep in mind, the Unitarian Church is not your typical church. Um, we're, we've been talking about um, like Catholicism and stuff like that. Uh, Unitarians... Uh, their theological orientation is create, uh, creativity, freedom, compassion, 
um, and they seek spiritual growth through fellowship, personal experiences, social action, education. So they're not your typical uh, Bible thumper. Yeah. Um, I've heard of them, but I've, I've never they, had no they idea believe, what these guys are about. They believe Jesus Christ is God's son, but that he's not divine. Right. Um, so Okay. So that's where, because people think church, why would they bring up hypnosis? They, it was pretty common in the Unitarian church. Um, Plus, and, hypnosis was kind of a new thing oh, back it, then it anyway. Was Everybody was doing it. Back then. Um, as I was about to leave, two people came up to me, introduced themselves as Betty Barney Hill, and asked me if hypnosis could be used to recover lost periods of memory. I wondered why they asked that question because I just mentioned it in my talk, but I said, yes, that's one of the classical uses of clinical hypnosis. They started uh, telling huh? You've been cutting out. Mic. We're losing your mic in and out. Can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you, but that's weird. You had, a, you had about a two, two sentence cut out. Um, as I was about to leave, two people came up to me and introduced themselves as Betty and Barney Hill and asked me if hypnosis could be used to recover lost periods of memory. I wondered why they had asked that question because I just mentioned it in my talk, but I said, yes, that's one of the classical uses of cl clinical hypnosis. They started telling me about something that happened to them as they were driving home from Canada on the night of 19 to 20 September 1961 a light in the sky that seemed to follow them and then circled them and being stopped on the road and how they later realized that they had a three hour gap in their memories as they told their story. Barney's face kept twitching spasmodically on one side. It didn't, I didn't like the looks of that. They said some of their friends thought the light that followed them was a UFO and asked me what I thought about UFOs. I said, there's a lot of reports by credible people. Then they asked me if I would hypnotize them to recover that gap in their memories. My first thought was, I don't want to wade into whatever is making his face twitch like that. I'm not a psychiatrist. Then I thought, UFOs. I'm an Air Force officer. Hypnosis. I have no credentials. So I said, no, I'm not qualified to do that. There were some discussions of UFOs. Three of the men obviously knew a lot about Air Force UFO reporting, more than I did, but I didn't know them. Betty and Barney walked outside with me, and we talked for a rather long, for rather a long time. I was skeptical of their story, but responded as best I could. They said several people had suggested they try hypnosis, and since I had studied it and recommended it for recovering memories, they thought they would go ahead with it. I said recovering those memories might reveal a lot of trauma and caution them against going to an amateur hypnotist such as myself or a half-baked hypnotherapist. I said they needed to find a, rep a reputable psychologist and psych or psychiatrist who use hypnotherapy. On September uh, 7, September 1963, I gave a lecture on hypnosis to one of the adult study groups at the Unitarian Church in Portsmouth, followed by a question and answer period. No one mentioned UFOs. Several years later, I learned that Betty and Barney had told their story to this group before I arrived. They came to me afterward and said they had not tried hypnosis and still had the gap in their memories. Betty was still having dreams about the incident, but she wasn't as upset about them. 
Barney was going to a psychiatrist he liked and trusted. He had mentioned the UFO incident, and the psychiatrist wasn't astonished, but they were working on that. But they were not working on that. I thought, this sounds right, he's in good hands. I strongly encourage them to ask Barney's psychiatrist about the use of hypnosis to recover the gap in their memories. I didn't hear anything about the Hills for the next nine months. It was only later I learned that they had acted on my recommendation, and Barney's psychiatrist had referred them to Dr. Benjamin Simon, a well-known psychiatrist in Boston. They first met with him on 14 December 1963. From 4 January to 27 June 1964, they drove to Boston one day a week. Dr. Simon always hypnotized them separately and made sure neither of them could hear what the other one said. Under hypnosis, they were able to remember the UFO incident, but it was so traumatic for them that he reactivated the amnesia at the end of each session. Starting about the 1st of April, the sessions were mostly based on playback of audio tapes made under hypnosis. (laughs) At the end of the last session, Dr. Simon gave them the tapes and said they could listen to them at home because that might help reduce the trauma. Uh, On 27 June 1964, as soon as they got home, Barney telephoned me at supper time. I was surprised to hear from him. He said they took my advice, had tape recordings made under hypnosis, and asked if they could bring the tapes to our house because they didn't want to listen to them alone. They wanted me to listen to the tapes and tell them what I thought. So the four of us, Betty and Barney, and Wynn and I, Wynn being his wife, sat on the floor in our living room that night and listened to the recording of Barney's first session under hypnosis. I was skeptical at first, but hearing what was on that tape, plus the fact they didn't want any publicity, convinced me that they were telling the truth. For example... Under hypnosis, Barney described seeing the UFO hovering close to the ground near the road. He got out of his car, walked toward it, and looked at it through binoculars. Something like a man was looking at him out of a window, right into his eyes, started putting thoughts Mm -hmm. in his mind. He says, come a little closer, don't be scared. Uh, I used to talk to rabbits like that when I was hunting them. Just before the point on the tape where Barney started screaming, I've got to get out of here, and ran back to his car. The physical Barney jumped up and ran ran out to our kitchen and vomited in the sink. I thought that would be pretty hard to fake. I agree. Mm-hmm. Um, when we finished listening to the tape, they asked me what I thought about it. I said I thought they were telling the truth, but that wasn't the problem. They said Dr. Simon also thought they deeply believed all this was true, but they wanted to know if it was real. Did this really happen to them, or was it somehow a dream or fantasy created in their minds? I said I would need to hear all of the tapes before I would even try to answer the question. They, they left the tapes with me. I listened to all the tapes. It took five nights. I made a lot of notes, went back to several tapes to make sure I had them right. Then I cross-checked comparable elements, distilled the whole thing in my mind, and decided what I believe. Are you sure this guy was an officer? Um, he's doing a hell of a lot of work. Um, yeah, where's it? Where where is where was this man's NCO? Right, yeah. like he should have other people doing this work for him. Um, if my lieutenant is there in this place, I, we don't think that we we appreciate your work, little team. No, that's not what Ben said earlier. Um, <laughs> my lieutenant actually likes me. Stop trying to get me in trouble. It was obvious that the hills were deeply hypnotized. What they recalled under hypnosis consistently and persistently supported the hypothesis that their experience was real. 
but Dr. Simon didn't believe in UFOs and wasn't about to. He kept leading them toward any other explanation and thus strongly suggested their experience wasn't real. That was why they were so uh, ambivalent and why their trauma had not been resolved. On the positive side, the fact that he did not believe them, did not suggest it to them, and tried to lead them away from it, greatly increased their credibility and thus supported the hypothesis that, they, that what they remembered was real. I telephoned the Hills, went to their house, returned their audio tapes, and told them I was convinced their experience was real and explained why I thought so. I said it was obvious that they were deeply hypnotized. I knew that from my own work with hypnosis. They were hypnotized separately and not allowed to hear each other's sessions, so there was no information feedback or cross-feed. Most important, Dr. Simon strongly suggested, under hypnosis, every other explanation he could think of, but they persisted with the same report. Um, this goes on for a little bit, but it it talks a little more about NICAP and things like that. Um, but yeah, it's... Uh, and then it'll, it kind of goes into more of Betty and Barney Hill. Um, but it's pretty interesting. Um, you guys can find it at bsweat.com, B-S-W-E-T-T.com. Um, it's, it's pretty interesting, uh, coming from his own stuff. Um, so... Under hypnosis, we're going to kind of mix in a little of what was said in the letter, but under hypnosis, as was consistent with his conscious recall, Barney reported that the binocular strap had broken when he ran from the UFO back to his car. He recalled driving the car away from the UFO, but that afterwards he felt irresistibly compelled to pull off the road and drive into the woods. He eventually sighted six men standing in the dirt road. The car stalled, and three of the men approached the car. They told Barney not to fear them. He was still anxious, however, and he re reported that the leader told Barney to close his eyes. While hypnotized, Barney said, I felt like the eyes had pushed into my eyes. I, I will say <laughs> this. The, he, he, Barney's not doing a bad job of the, the description. Or it's kind of out there. It's Yeah. Um, Barney described the beings as generally similar to Betty's hypnotic, not dream, recollection. The beings often stared into his eyes with a terrifying, mesmerizing effect. Under hypnosis, Barney said things like, oh, those eyes, they're there in my brain. And I was told to close my eyes because I saw two eyes coming close to mine. And I felt like the eyes had pushed into my eyes. And all I see are these eyes. I'm not even afraid that they're not connected to a body. They're just there. They're up. They're just up close to me, pressing against my eyes. So he basically was seeing floating eyes. Uh, beholder. Yeah. Couple, couple beholders. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, it's scary. Yeah. Um, there are beholders in the backwoods of New Hampshire. Yeah. Hmm. The more you know. <clears throat> yeah. While Betty reported a conversation with the leader in English, Barney said that he heard them speaking in a mumbling language he did not understand. Betty also mentioned this detail. The few times they communicated with him, 
Barney said it seemed to be thought transference as, at the time uh, because he was unfamiliar with the word telepathy. Okay. Um, under hypnosis, Betty's account was similar to her five dreams about the UFO abduction with some notable differences, mainly pertaining to her capture and release. Also, the technology on the craft was different. The short men differed sl- significantly in physical appearance and the sequential order of the abduction differed. Barney's and Betty's memories in hypnotic regression were, however, consistent with one another. When the series of hypnosis sessions were complete, Simon wrote an article about the Hills for the journal Psychiatric Opinion, explaining his conclusion that the case was a singular psychological aberration. Um, At this point, they went back to their regular lives. They were willing to discuss the alleged UFO encounter with friends, family, occasional UFO researcher, but they made no apparent effort to seek publicity with this. So this, this is where people are kind of iffy on everything is if this is made up, why did they make it up if they're not trying to get publicity? Um, well, my opinion, probably because they would, even within when they started, um, telling this is because initially they they did seek out like slowly it could seem like they were taking baby steps to say something but then when they weren't met they they people weren't like enthusiastically greedy like really yeah absolutely yeah that sounds so real they probably started backing off like okay they're they're not buying this yeah and that's another thing that i was thinking you can act like you don't want publicity but here we are all knowing about it years later yeah there's a website with huge accounts of those discussions well the thing is is they never specifically published anything yeah it was reporters but when they it probably but i can't help but wonder um if they had gotten more attention would they have pushed out more i mean their story is just i'm sorry it's just it's batshit crazy so in the mid 60s they did start making lectures um yeah so on October 25th, 1965, a, pr- fr- a front page story in the Boston Traveler asked UFO Chiller, did they seize couple? Reporter John H. Luttrell of the Traveler had allegedly been given an audio tape recording of the lecture the Hills had made in Quincy Center in late 1963. Luttrell learned that the Hills had undergone hypnosis with Simon. He also obtained notes from confidential interviews the Hills had given to UFO investigators. On October 26th, United Press International, UPI, picked up Luttrell's story and the Hills earned international attention. Um, in 1966, writer John G. Fuller secured the cooperation of the Hills and Simon and wrote the book The Interrupted Journey uh, about the case. This book included a copy of Betty's sketch of the star map. Um, so, yeah, Betty had 
created this star map of the stars that she had seen, the traveling that the UFO took, and this and that. Um, she was basically a mini astronomer. Um, the book was a quick success and went through several printings. Um, here at the end, Barney actually died of a cerebral hemorrhage. February 25th, 1969, at the age of 46. After which, Betty went on to become a celebrity in the UFO community. Um, she then, she lived a long life. She died of cancer October 17th, 2004, at age 85. Um, and she never remarried. Um, Psychiatrists later suggested this the supposed abduction was a hallucination brought on by the stress of being an interracial couple in the early 1960s. Um, I, 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 I don't know about that. I mean, seemed like despite their being an interracial couple in a time when that was very unheard of, um, they, I mean, again, without actually knowing these people firsthand and knowing their struggles. I mean, he worked, he had a government job. She also had, she was a social worker. So that's probably a government, uh, some kind of a agency that probably works with the government as well. It is. So, yeah. So the, the, the these government, aren't, at least. Yeah. So I, again, without knowing their person, their really in-depth personal yeah. stories and what they went through, which I'm, again, I'm sure being in New Hampshire, back then in New England and just how the whole country was at the time. I'm sure they encountered their share of ignorance, but at the same time, it, it I don't know. It doesn't seem like that made them snap. They're just driving along and, oh my God, I'm white and you're black. This is intolerable. Aliens! Well, that's, that's, we're, we're making some really big leaps and bounds here, to me at least. Well, what, what we're going to get into right now is the different different theories um some being on stuff that Kara touched on as well um so jim mcdonald which is a resident of the area in which the hills claim to have been abducted uh he has produced a detailed analysis which you can actually still find um he has produced a detailed analysis of their journey which concludes that the episode was provoked by their misperceiving an aircraft warning beacon on Cannon Mountain as a UFO. McDonald notes that from the road the hills took, the beacon appears and disappears at the at exactly the same time the hills describe the UFO as appearing and disappearing. The remainder of the experience is ascribed to stress, sleep deprivation, and false memories recovered under hypnosis. And then after reading McDonald's recreation, a UFO expert, Robert Schaefer, um, who is well-known in the UFO community, uh, he writes that the Hills are the poster children for not driving when sleep-deprived. Mm-hmm. I think you... I, I think Kara probably nailed it right on the head. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oops. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, sleep deprivation is no joke. It, it, it really isn't. Always, <laughs> folks... You should obviously never drink and drive, but definitely never sleep and drive. Uh, Aaron, yeah, Aaron, uh, you obviously did 
road patrol and everything when you were a cop how how what what would you say was probably more dangerous just a quick thing what's more dangerous drinking and driving or sleeping and driving that's tired and driving i guess tired and driving actually um there i know personally um just from the time with the sheriff's office um when i drove a semi as well after i retired there were stretches of like double digit miles you have no idea how you made it through nope nope i remember looking at one exit sign and then what i thought was five minutes later it's 10 15 miles down the road and i have no idea how i got there what i did anything like that so um, <laughs> yeah, guys, don't sleep my first drive. my first major um motor accident um was because i was um severely sleep deprived um and i ended up falling asleep behind the wheel people always think that he's like oh so, i can't fall asleep at the wheel uh, yeah, yeah no it's, it's actually no. There's a reason why if I'm starting to get tired, I will pull over and I will take a nap on the side of the road. I actually got woken up by a skate trooper by doing that one time. And I, I you know, as, as a former deputy and a then deputy, that was my encouragement to everybody. If you're feeling tired, get out, stretch, take pull that over. break, pull over, sleep yeah. for an hour two hours whatever it's it's not gonna make a difference if you get there two hours later as opposed to not getting there at all yeah like so my my last couple years in law enforcement was federal side doing fugitive extradition and most of that was driving i most of my trips were florida to texas or florida to new york um and those are long fucking drives i can tell you driving from new york to wisconsin is brutal especially uh, in indiana well then we can only do kansas to georgia well we can only do uh 60 miles an hour can't go over 60 Mm -hmm. um and then you can only drive for eight hours at a time before you have to switch Right, and then you're not sleeping those other eight hours because it's hard to sleep in there. Plus, you have convicted killers in the back, and mm-hmm. yeah. So, bottom line is, if you're feeling tired, sleep. Don't sleep and drive and it. see aliens. Yeah, um, yeah otherwise the a- the aliens will get they you. They will man. probe you. Um, and if you yes. start to see purple bunny rabbits, it's too late. Yes. <laughs> Thankfully, thankfully, that time I wasn't the driver. I was a passenger. Well, that's good. So, skeptical inquirer columnist Robert Schaefer wrote, I was present at the National UFO Conference in New York City in 1980, at which Betty presented some of the UFO photos she had taken. Um, I will say that <coughs> um, after Barney died, Betty was at every single ufo conference that there was yeah she did not miss one 
Um, so she showed what must have been far more than 200 slides, mostly of blips, blurs, and blobs against a dark background. These were supposed to be UFOs coming in close, chasing her car, landing, etc. After her talk had exceeded about twice its allotted time, Betty was literally jeered off the stage by what had been, at first, a sympathetic audience. This incident, witnessed by many UFOlogies leaders and top activists, removed any lingering doubts about Betty's credibility. She had none. Mm -hmm. In 1995, Betty Hill wrote a self-published book, A Common Sense Approach to UFOs. It is filled with delusional stories, (laughs) such as seeing entire squadrons of UFOs in flight and a truck levitating above the freeway. Um, I'm starting to rethink my my theory on somebody slipped this woman some LSD. No, she was just fucking crazy. The pattern kind of seems like he kind of kept her from spouting all of this crazy bullshit. He did. He did. And once he was gone, well, she had no filter. And just made up whatever she wanted. For him, he was a black man in the 60s married to a white woman. Yeah. Segregation and didn't, happened. guys, the end of segregation did not happen until the 70s. Mm-hmm. On top of that, he's he kind of had to go along with what she did for the most part. Yeah. I, I, I kind of get the feeling that it's kind of like what Cara said. They were probably sleep deprived, driving from what is essentially across Ontario and Quebec down through New Ham- the the length of New Hampshire. And I can tell you right now, I've driven through parts of it, mostly southern, but I am familiar with the area where they're at. This this is a very long stretch of forested rural area so there's like it's there's a it's long stretches probably he losing saw some shit barney probably at some point realized okay i think we just lost our fucking mind somewhere between french canada and home and but betty just got wouldn't surprise me she was already betcha crazy and this just pushed her right over the edge and with Barney not there to kind of keep her under keep her under wraps, she was just free to, you know, wave that weird flag and just you know let it fly. So that's just my theory. So I I, I sincerely doubt aliens ever would would bother with these people. If they did, they probably put them right back and immediately drive away fast. Um, Schaefer later wrote that as late as 1977. Mm-hmm. Betty Hill would go on UFO vigils at least three times a week. One evening, she was joined by UFO enthusiast John Oswald. The more we talk about UFOs and uh, aliens, we will speak on John Oswald. He makes an appearance in multiple alien stories. When asked about Betty's continuing UFO observations, Oswald stated she is not really seeing UFOs, but she is calling them that. On the night they went out together... He said, Miss Hill was unable to distinguish between a landed UFO and a streetlight. Um, in a later interview, Schaefer recounts that Betty Hill wrote, UFOs are a new science and our science cannot explain them. Robert Schaefer then released 48 pages of archive documents relating to Betty and Barney Hill, Benjamin Simon, and Philip J. Class. Another one that we are going to touch on with aliens is Philip J. Class. 
he is a ufologist that is well known in the ufo community um and he did touch on betty and barney hill so we will be talking about philip j class um he released those december 23rd 2015 and his 1990 article, entirely uh, unpredisposed, Martin Kottmeyer suggested that Barney's memories revealed under hypnosis might have been influenced by an episode of the science fiction television show The Outer Limits, titled The Bolero Shield, which was broadcast about two weeks before Barney's first hypnotic session. The episode featured an extraterrestrial with large eyes who says, In all the universes and all the unities beyond the universes... All who have eyes have eyes that speak. The report from regression featured a scenario that was in some aspects similar to the television show. Um, and he wrote, Wraparound eyes are an extreme rarity in science fiction films. I know of only one instance. They appeared on the alien of an episode of an old TV series, The Outer Limits, titled The Bolero Shield. Person familiar with Barney's sketch in The Interrupted Journey and the sketch done in collaboration with the artist David Baker would find a frisson of deja vu creeping up his spine when seeing this episode. The resemblance is much abetted by an absence of ears, hair, and nose on both aliens. Could it be by chance? Consider this. Barney first described and drew the wraparound eyes during his hypnosis session dated 22 February 1964. The Bolero Shield was first broadcast on 10 February 1964. Only 12 days separate the two instances. The identification is admitted. The commonness of wraparound eyes in the abduction literature falls to cultural forces. Um, when somebody asked Betty about the Outer Limits, she insisted she had never heard of it. So, yeah. Um, and then they also pointed that some of the motifs of their accounts were present in the 1953 uh, film Invader to Mars. Or Invader oh, Invaders from Mars. Mars. Great, great cheesy of, uh, B of, movie. A lot of their accounts are pretty similar to Invaders from Mars. So, that's Betty and Not, Hill. Yeah. What are everybody's thoughts? I think... I'm going to keep with my thoughts of they were probably sleep deprived out the ass. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like there's a lot of explanations, but I don't think that in any magic realm of possibility that it's in any way, shape, or form the actual truth of what happened. I I'll think say... it could be sleep deprivation, uh, LSD being given to them, uh, maybe even schizophrenia that developed suddenly that. At least in Betty. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, the person without power in a relationship at the time um, might have been forced to go along with. I think that's all, that's also a possibility. Uh, I'll say this on a lighter note: if aliens did visit them and saw how batshit crazy they are, they probably haven't been back since. Yeah, because I would. Could, I'll mean, put it this way: if I were visiting a new place and I met people like this, I'd probably be like. We're going to just back us up and we're just going to leave and never come back. That would be my thing. But, but in, but in seriousness, I, I, I agree with Kara on, and, and uh, Elliot, this is probably sleep deprivation. I also stick to the LSD thing. Somebody at some point slipped these people something. 
this this stuff is again i i have not encountered this so i to me this sounds so far-fetched to the point where it's like somebody had to something. this this is definitely the least credible um we're gonna get into some other ones that seem a lot more credible like one of my personal favorites travis walton Mm-hmm. Um, that is the one that made the movie about right yes fire in the sky yes great uh, movie you should good. all see everybody it. i haven't seen it everybody great movie go watch fire in the sky great movie based on a true story um, robert patrick db sweeney one of my favorite actors um yeah. it is considered the movie, if you read the movie, watch the movie, which is great. Which is also based on it, a book, just saying. If you re- but if you read the book and the actual interview, this is where we have, uh, okay, the movie presents a very reasonable account. The book, it's like, all right, this is, there's some parts here that are weird. But like you said, we will get into that. I hope we do. Excuse me. Hope we do. Yeah, we're because we're definitely gonna get into Travis Walton. It's one of the newer. A lot of the abduction stories that are out there are sixties, seventies, eighties. Travis Walton's the most recent. Um, and eighties or seventies or eighties, right? I think it was eighties, nineties. Yeah, early nineties, I think. But Travis Walton also was very interesting because of all of his friends as well. Yeah. That's what makes it interesting. Without spoiling anything, his friends are what makes it interesting, especially the guy that Travis Walton didn't, that didn't like Travis Walton, but still corroborated his story. Yeah. So that's, that's what gives creditation. Um, and who did not want to be on record, but we're we're gonna do a few UFO stuff. Um, we have a lot of stuff lined up next. Um, everything from the Zodiac Killer to MK Ultra and Project Paperclip. That's those are the ones where Ben and I are gonna lose our security clearances. Um, we are also. I would love to get the entire cast in here for our Satanic Panic series. Yeah. Um, I sent you a video, I think because... of other today or the other day, about uh, some of the... Or, uh, there was a video on social media I found of some of the first warnings yes. against D&D. Spoiler alert, clerics are evil. Yeah, so... Of course, Satanic Panic was big in the 80s. That is also going to lead into um, the Boys on the Tracks. Because that was... The Boys on the Tracks was big. That was... For those that don't know about the Boys on the Tracks, there were three boys... I believe it was three of them that were killed in Georgia, a small town in Georgia. And they believe that the killer was involved with D&D and listened to hardcore metal music and Satanic Panic was very in full swing. Um, so we will definitely do Boys on the Tracks as well. Um, we're going to be doing like the Stanley Hotel, which is... Ooh, yeah, I've heard of that one. Stanley Hotel's great. I, I, I ha- no offense, but I have feelings about the 
whole D and D and listening to metal as I, I I match that description. Thanks. Well, and that's and that's Same. why that's why I want to have everybody in, the entire cast in for the Satanic yeah. Panic because it touches on everything that we do. Um, mm-hmm. And Satanic Panic is making a comeback. Um, Unfortunately, it, yeah. a, a new version of it, but yes, it it, it seems that uh, people just can't just leave D and D alone. It, um, it, yeah, one of the uh, we're going to be touching on a f- couple other things. Heaven's Gate, Waco. Um, we are going to do uh, Warren Jeffs, Order of the Solar Temple, Nexium, which is the most uh, recent one. Recent cults. Um, we are also Probably. going to be touching on Scientology. Um, and then another one that, that we ha- cannot wait for is Indrid Cold. Yes. Um, injured cold is a we'll, very creepy one. We'll also be covering a slew of cryptids. Uh, yes. Mothman's going to be one of them. Vampire uh, the deer. Chupac- yes, the chupacabra. Yeah. Um, also, I'm going to be looking up some stuff because uh, we'll also be looking into some of the Appalachian uh, cryptids, um, which yeah. are the, the stuff of nightmares. Yeah. Snallygaster. Right, right in my neck of the woods. Um, yes, uh, funny enough, I want to go to the Appalachian Mountains and camp. Not, uh, not none of them, nobody, nobody else uh, wants to join um, me. I never we have it. part of the Appalachian Mountains here I'll, in Georgia. I'll be so, there. Uh, no, thank you. <laughs> yeah, we can go camping in a, it, it ought to be a log cabin. Hey, uh, that, yeah. that, that's how we're going to do our, uh, our finale episode for Dungeons and Magi. Yeah, in a big log cabin, cabin in the woods. Cabin in the woods. Oh God! In the uh, Appalachian uh, Mountains. Uh, um, <laughs> but, um, so Ooh, Carl Kansas will be remote. Will be too. again. Don't don't don't, don't, don't knock rule Kansas. Rule Kansas can get creepy. Um, again, that was Betty and Barney Hill. Um, we want to thank you for visiting the Scarlet Tavern. Remember to turn in your glasses, push in your seat, and as always, tip the bard. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night. Good night.